Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Uh, today we have Dakota Apostolou from the Cohere Network. Um, and we're going to be talking about how we can catalyze and jumpstart kind of, you know, regenerative communities, regenerative living, uh, how we can get around some of the issues with commodified uh, housing markets and, you know, how we can move in a more regenerative direction and get around some of these bottlenecks that, that many of us run into. Um, so I think uh, Dakota uh, has uh, a lot to say about that and his network. They're doing a lot of really innovative things. So uh, with that kind of preface, welcome, Dakota. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Good to be here with you. Cool. Uh, so why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are? Tell us, you know, uh, a version of your story, whatever version uh, is appropriate, uh, that you feel appropriate, and uh, and give us a kind of a lead into what the Cohere Network is all about. Yeah. Yeah, happily. The, let's see, my background's in architecture. I trained at the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture. And I, my kind of career evolved from doing like really bougie over the top high-end homes into how do we use architecture for social impact? How do we use architecture in the built environment to make meaningful difference in living in a regenerative way? And that really evolved into Cohere and what we're doing with Cohere because even in the impact architecture I was doing, it left me feeling like we were only making a drop in the bucket in terms of how do we actually create systemic radical change. And for us, that what evolved in our thinking and our point of view is that it all comes down to the economics. How do we actually start to shift the economics of the built environment to provide access to equity for everybody? And how do we do that in a way that starts to build a new closed loop economy where we inherently gain more by stewarding the land, living in right relations with the earth, and collaborating. That was really kind of the drive behind Cohere. It's like in the most practical way, how do we do that in incremental baby steps and move the needle forward to a better way of living, a way that you know we all want to live, but we many people don't seem to have access to because of the crony capitalistic market that we're in. Hmm. Nice. Okay. Um, and do you want to get into some of the ways that you're doing that, that your network is doing yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, one of the big things for us was, um, yeah, I don't know how, like how deep to get into the weeds on the how, but um, you tell me how far we want to go into that. But on the high level, anytime a member of Cohere contributes value into Cohere, they gain equity in Cohere. And, and what do you mean by contribute value? Yeah, that can vary from, I want to come and build out a, a food forest, or I want to come chef, or help. I want to do some graphic designs or a new pitch deck for another property. We, our goal is to put out as many things because we're member-owned and we want to be member-built. So anytime we can put out bounties in the Web3 space is called, or just jobs or tasks, we want to put that out to our members. And then in exchange for that, people are just getting paid fair market rates. You know, So if you're a graphic designer and you get paid 80 bucks an hour, great, we'll pay 80 bucks an hour, equivalent in securities in Cohere. Mm -hmm. And in this way, we provide access because quite a few people have incredible and in, in very, very important skills that aren't valued in the marketplace. 
-hmm. For instance, like right now in an age of, you know, the earth rebalancing or climate change, whatever you want to call it, you know, the ability to grow your own food is pretty high in the value prop. Right. And yet in most of the intentional living uh, communities and structures, you come to a place, you work your ass off for 10 years and you put all this sweat equity into a property, increasing the property value, but you're not getting equity, increasing the value of the land, $50,000. And so what we've done is create something called dynamic equity. You put in value and you're going to get ownership in the entire global ecosystem. Uh, quick question. So you said, you know, putting in value, getting paid fair market rates, but then you also said that the market often undervalues people's talents. And so yeah. if somebody is putting in value where their, their value is undervalued in the market, how, how does that work? You know, it's a great question that we, there are some, um, a friend of mine, Charlotte from Protopia, was uh, sharing how Traditional Dream Factory has a Web3 tool for this, mm-hmm. where people can basically vote on the value we ascribe to each other's contributions. Mm-hmm. So there are some sister orgs that are developing really cool ways of creating new value structures such mm-hmm. that a community can say, hey, we believe that gardening is actually worth 80 bucks an hour, not 20 bucks an hour. So the long and the short of it is we don't know what's best. We really don't. We're, we're starting, one of the critical things for us in Cohere is how do we just practically move the needle forward and be a bridge from game A into game B? Mm-hmm. And so any, like we're, we're starting with pretty mediocre systems at the moment. Uh-huh. And we want to like continue to grow the meta network. And Cohere's intention is we house the change makers. Right? We have all these digital nomads who are traveling around the world. Mm. And Cohere is building these co-living, co-working communities around the world mm-hmm. where we're intentionally giving preferred access to the people who are helping to grow the meta-modernist, genesons, whatever we want to call the movement at, afoot. Mm-hmm. Our intention is to continually limit Cohere's scope. We are member-owned real estate. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We create a container to house the change makers. We bring together the experts who know better than than me or our team on these these more exalted ways of measuring value or the new tool sets. We don't know. We don't we don't know most of the things, but we want to be of service to housing the leaders who do know. Who have been working thirty years on like holacracy or other systems that are far more effective. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um... You mentioned moving from game A to game B. You mentioned the term metamodernism. You mentioned the term renaissance. I know what those words mean um, because I, I came kind of out of the liminal web scene. But do you want to w- describe what does that mean to you? Like what what is this kind of larger kind of deep metahistorical kind of narrative that you're working with here? Yeah, I the way I think about it is it occurs to me that we're entering in an, into an era, or at least in my reality bubble, where more and more people are realizing that the situation is pretty not so good mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in terms of the collapsing global ecosystem, in terms of collapsing local ecosystems, in terms of the rise of extremism and the collapse of democracy. Like a lot of people are realizing shit's getting real. Pardon my language. Things are getting pretty severe. Mm-hmm. 
And so it, it occurs to me in my reality that more and more people are like kind of quote unquote standing up for humanity, mm-hmm. the rights of nature movement, the 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 post growth institute. There's all of these sister orgs that are incredible people saying, "Hey, it's time for us to make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to coordinate and stop competing with each other and figure out what the heck we do about this dire situation we're in, and do it in a way that can create hope." Because oftentimes, like when you tell a single parent that is barely making ends meet, that you know, that they should be concerned that the salt lake is drying up and they're going to have a toxic cloud and it's going to be five times worse and that there's like a real likely complete lack of water in the region in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Who the hell can handle that if you're barely making ends meet? Mm-hmm. And so it occurs to me that people then put their head in the sand because it's like the gravity of the situation is too big to deal with. And I think that there are, however, there is, however, a movement of people being like, yeah, the situation is real. So let's step up to the plate. Let's work together and figure out what we can do to get in right relations for the betterment of humanity and do anything and everything we can to steer the ship in the right direction through hope. That's that's the movement that I don't know if metamodernism encapsulates or accurately defines, but that's what... I feel that we're part of and want to be uh, into in support of. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if I were to ask somebody to give a description of what we're trying to do with doom or optimism, uh, that would be a good, that would be a good one. <laughs> we have many perspectives, so that's cool. It seems like we're, we're pretty aligned. Um, so, so tell me more about kind of getting, you know, putting in work, putting in your value into the network and getting kind of this uh, equity into the network and 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 what is that what does that mean that that means that you know i put in some work and then that means i can stay at one of these eco villages or something for a month or something is that, is that kind of what you're describing or can you unpack that more the way so like what we've designed a rent to own model mm-hmm. but right now we're not ready to roll that out and we have a very specific game plan of what we can do now and what we can do in the future Right now, what we're providing is we're about to launch a formal founding membership drive where we're opening up our membership to 250 people who we believe are just really value aligned, doing the work, really making a difference. And one of the key things for us in Cohere is like we're not just out to house any digital nomad. We're out to house change makers who are living a lifestyle as a global citizen and want to network effect and grow their initiative through deep, meaningful trust and connection. So we're launching an online community that provides access for, for everyone to everyone else, where you can post what you need help, what you want to be a contribu- contribution to, you have preferred access to the locations that we're starting and onboarding. And in addition, if you so choose to contribute to growing out Cohere, you can gain equity in Cohere like a co-op. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're basically glorified co-op mixed with a REIT in effect. Right. So... Then we have, we're opening up properties around the world where our members have first right to rent those locations mm-hmm. and their rent, the majority of that rent is going back to that local lo- location to, for, to continue to increase the vitality of that location. Mm-hmm. When a location is in the Cohere network, when Cohere even owns a tiny bit of that location, it now becomes an asset on our books and we can now pay our members insecurities of Cohere to make improvements to that location. 
Mm. And that allows us to say like, so the property we're, we're moving into in Costa Rica next month is really sweet property. It was started from some friends who were, you know, like cool, like software engineers doing some really cool stuff on the websites. They don't want to run a hospitality venue, but they're really committed to the, the movement. They're building out a member owned Amazon basically. And they're doing really rad work, but they have this beautiful venue, but they don't want to run on it. So Cohere is coming in. We're going to take over operations. We're going to rent it to our members with the preferred access to people who are aligned with kind of the initiative behind their whole thing. And we also provide a series of jobs if people want to come in and help us build out the next five cabins. Well, they can. And they can gain equity rather than just being paid in fiat. Hmm. And as we grow the value of the entire network, the value of everyone's shares go up in value. Hmm. And because that equity is not fixed, because we put that equity on blockchain in a way that's compliant with the SEC, with the U.S. regulation bodies, people can now sell that equity and get have an exit. Hmm. So, you know, normally like in, in capitalism right now, or I say in venture capital or this the business world at large, people invest in a company. And if you're an unaccredited U.S. citizen, you can't really invest in companies. There's a very strong limit of how much money you can invest if you're not accredited. So you're kind of cut out of the entire upside of, the, of that marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so you put all this money into a company, but now the shareholders want that company to be bought out by the monopoly so there can be a huge exit and they get their cash plus their profit. Mm-hmm. And so all the shareholders are incentivized to sell out to the next biggest company that mm-hmm. has like some bloated and crazy valuation. They've got all the cash anyway, so they can say, we'll buy it for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. There's no way for people to put in, get equity, and then do something with that equity. Well, by leveraging blockchain, we're actually able to change that. People can sell their shares in the secondary markets. Those shares could be speculated on. And now you can get value and you can exit back into the larger fiat ecosystem if you so want. Mm-hmm. Um, are you worried about something like a bank run? You know what I mean? Like, uh, like it, you know as long as things are going well, there's kind of this, you know, positive reinforcing virtuous feedback loop. This sounds good, but let's say that there's a natural disaster, you know, uh, one of the locations gets severely damaged. Um, People, because it's in these speculative markets, decide, oh, this is not a good investment for me. So I'm going to pull it out. And a lot of people decide to do that. Um, Are you worried about that possibility? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, like the black swan events in like the extreme nature of weather today is always a risk. But what we're doing is everything has a risk at the end of the day. We believe, however, that the new gold, food, water, resilient buildings with coherent community. We believe that that's the most important hedge above all else. And if you have access to that, well, it doesn't matter how big... You get the biggest portfolio in the world, but if you don't have food, water, resilient buildings with coherent community, well, good, good luck mm-hmm. in time in, in an era of radical climate change, mm-hmm. right? In an era of like destabilized geopolitics. Right. So we believe that is for us the most important store of value. That's the goal for us. Mm-hmm. Now, as we build more and more of these hard assets, more and more of these communities, that creates a fairly stable base value. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, I mean, like a title, like if we have a 7.8 earthquake and lose a property, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna reduce the the, the hard floor backing. Mm-hmm. And 
that is just the reality of any real estate. Mm-hmm. Now we're building in a way that is resilient to natural disasters. We're building in a way with the best regenerative practices, all the things, the best we can do. Um, but the end of the day, we're building out this pool of assets that are decentralized. So we start to shed some of the lot, some of the risk profile. Right. So McKinsey recently told the friend Tony Cho, uh, the founder of Future Cities, that the biggest transfer of wealth in, the, in human history was to Florida during COVID. That's what he was told. And if you go to Florida right now, there is an insane building boom. Mm-hmm. And so people are putting tons of money into real estate because of the risk of the stock market being overvalued, collapsed crypto. Where mm-hmm. are you going to put your money? And a ton of money is going into real estate. Mm-hmm. And a ton of money, but like building a condo on Miami Beach to me is insane because yeah. the way it's glacier melting is a real freaking thing. Um, and so by owning a share of equity in a pool of assets, mm-hmm. inherently reduces some of the risk, but it's not risk-free, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, so it seems, so I was, I was looking through kind of the, the account coherent stuff and, you know, seeing some of the pictures and, you know, it seems like, you know, a bunch of young, attractive kind of techno hipsters um, and, that's cool. You know, it's a very, it's very attractive um, kind of, kind of thing. Um, but what I didn't see much of was families. I didn't see much of people who would look like locals in the, in the places that, that you're at. Um, so I guess my broader question is, um, you know, and this also relates to kind of my concern with um, some of the ideas floating around, like, Lodgy's network state, for example, which seems to me kind of like a new neo gentrification, you know, a new form of basically going into an area, buying it up, basically colonizing it, and, you know, for the most part, being kind of insular, right? Not integrating with the surrounding cultures, with the surrounding communities. And so I'm curious, have you guys thought about these issues and in terms of how you want to evolve. Yeah, we've, we've been in this space for a while assessing how we can be of, how we can address some of these systemic ingrained issues. Mm-hmm. The, I'd say our, our brand right now is fairly outdated. I mean, as a startup, <laughs> you know, we're constantly like, oh my gosh, how can we get this done in time before our capital runs out and all those things. But we are about to like really launch a big brand update with the launch of our founding member. Mm-hmm. Um, campaign where we really speak more to the ethos publicly in mm-hmm. our marketing around who we're pulling in. Mm-hmm. So a critical thing for me is not to judge anyone by their race, their ethnicity, their sex, their gender, their identification of any sort. Mm-hmm. To me, none of that is important. What's important is access and access to opportunity, access to the things that many people who are in disenfranchised communities never had access to. And one of that ways that gets expressed is gentrification, mm-hmm. right? So like in the village I'm here right now in Sunana, it's in, in a, at the lake, at Lake Atitlan, where I'm today. Mm-hmm. You have one of the poorest communities in Guatemala and a yeah. huge influx of, of Westerners buying up land and building, you know, amazing retreat centers and whatnot. Right. One of, now there's endemic to, or just ingrained in the human condition is people always moving around the world and, you know, this is kind of part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. However, when people 
when a local population doesn't have any ability to have access to the upside of the valuation increase, well, then they get gender. Now, now Cohere is not able to solve, you know, endemic issues per se. But what we are what we're really interested in is imagine if the stonemason, imagine if the a, a local any person who's you know in a cohere location, is not only getting paid in the local currency, but is getting paid in equity. Mm-hmm. That those locals are literally becoming shareholders of this entire ecosystem. And now they're also owners and they're getting the upside in the profit in the valuation increase. And they're not cut out of the market because they don't have enough capital to play the game. Mm-hmm. Now that's not an end all be all solution, but that's one that we think is radically a, a radical step in the right direction. Yeah. The other thing is like, how do we make real tangible impact in a community? And that is not like a friend of mine who works at the UN at a hatch conference was talking about this. You th- people often think like we can come into a local community and solve an issue that's endemic to that problem. Hell no. A local person who's dealing with that issue knows how best to solve that issue in the context of that of that culture or subculture. Mm-hmm. So it's also just having the humility to know that we don't know what is best for a local community, mm-hmm. but how we create local impact means we're empowering the local community in the most tangible, practical ways. Mm-hmm. So a friend of ours who's around the corner in the next village over, one of the things he's doing is he's just raised $50,000 to build a soccer field because mm-hmm. in the next village over, they don't have the space and real estate is expensive. So he came and raised the money. He's making, making that difference. And so any way that we can, like of all of our properties, we, it's really key for us to be working with a local, a local lead. Mm-hmm. Cohere is a, a member-owned interstitial yeah. tissue to accelerate the development of these regenerative hubs around the world. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're coming in, we're not building Marriott's for you know the LA scene and where we can all look pretty and take pictures of ourselves. This is how do we actually build these hubs that are prototypical, replicable, empower the local economy and drive money into the local economy in the most practical ways guided by the local NGOs, the local people in need. That's, that's what we're about. And, but, but there are these incredibly systemic issues that, that are just endemic to the nature of society right now that we, we want to be a contribution to, but mm-hmm. we thought we don't know what to do other than, you know, what are these little things that we can do in the meantime? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you that, you know, say, you know, uh, hiring local labor and, you know, ha- you know, having, rewarding them, not just in, in cash, but, but in equity, having them be co-owners um, is a much better model than what we see with kind of, Neo, just frankly, neo-colonialism around the world, right? And and um, what you know, kind of the multinational corporate model generally is with of extracting resources, extracting cheap labor, things of that nature. So that that sounds good. Um, kind of another related issue, and this is something that we we debate and we talk about a lot as well, is so you know some of us are pretty skeptical of kind of the kind of the planned village movement where you're like, we're going to make a village um, because there's a lot of pushback on that of people saying, well, that's not organic enough, right? That's too top down. Um, You know, cultures need to evolve through, you know, the millions of little micro 
interactions between people in a place and their relationship to the environment and and being in an environment and you know one thing that requires just being in a place for a long time and really getting to know it from the inside out um an issue i see with say the optionality uh, of say having a network that you have of people who could just kind of move around um at a whim is that they're never going to actually get that embodied situated cognition that is the real driver of of culture right mm -hmm. and what i would think of as, as regenerative cultures um and at the same time you know I, I think that we can't also can't avoid some you know amount of forethought some amount of intentionality and like you know even if you consider yourself like a localist and you're like i want to build community uh, i don't have a a preset plan for it but i want to build I, that's still an intention so there is you can't get away from quote unquote like this the top down versus bottom up is not a very clean dichotomy i don't think it's always mixed it's, it's more of a spectrum um i'm curious but i'm curious what you think about that of like you know kind of spontaneous um you know complexity and evolution uh interacting with kind of planned networked global kind of intentional movement yeah, I, I really appreciate bringing this up in the yeah, embodied cognition, man. What a great way of saying that. I love that. Yeah, I, in my perspective, the idea of getting a bunch of friends and we go build a village in the middle somewhere it has not generally worked. Mm -hmm. so in, in my perspective, the majority of the time that fails terribly. Mm -hmm. And it is, and I believe that it's because you're jumping the gun. Like, it's like getting married before you've dated. Like, in order to build a village, you need to have a rock-solid culture. Like, mm -hmm. Forrest Landry talks a lot about the importance of the cultural piece. Well, how do you get to a culture? Well, you have to have a rock-solid community. Well, how do you have a community? Well, you have to have trust. Why do you get trust? Break bread for months at a time. Have those conversations at 2 in the morning around the kitchen island where you're like, oh, my gosh, we're doing this, I'm doing this, and – you have to have that just, in my opinion, the most practical thing is that human-to-human -human connection. Mm. And for Cohere, because we hold this view, it is really essential for us to work in practical phases. Cohere, it's like right now in the process of buying a piece of property in Ecuador, a large uh, 310-hectare piece of property. So that property is huge. We could build an entire village, but we are years from that because we don't have embodied cognition. We don't have that deep rootedness. We're still developing now our relationship to place. As an architect, my belief is that the earth shows us what wants to be built in each location. And all you got to do is shut up long enough and sit on the earth, study, study what's there. Mm -hmm. And then the solution comes to you versus like, oh, I have the, I have the, I have the solution. The, the context gives you the solution. So study the context. In that vein, what, what I believe is that with Cohere, we are building these impact hubs, these co-working, co-living communities, where we bring people in for three to six months at a time, and they have the opportunity to connect to place, to connect to each other. And it becomes an informal vetting process mm -hmm. to then see how do we take the time and study the land and start to build permanent homes? Mm -hmm. How do we start to restore the the health of the ecosystem like in ecuador we're going to plant polonia trees and then from that we they flower in six months so we can start producing honey 
it's an organic seventh generation organic cattle uh, farm or ranch mm-hmm. and endless opportunities for how we help to revitalize the diversity of the ecosystem and that's going to take us a long time to really be on that land and figure out how to do that in right relations so mm-hmm. i think it's a sequence i also think things like burning man are a really profound example of uh, enough planning and enough individuation and something that i often talk about is individuation without separation this is a term that i got from my mentor late mentor rennie davis like we believe that every local community needs to individuate it's its own culture it's its own place it has we're out to find the important nodes around the world where people are local communities are already kicking ass and doing amazing work but they're lacking brand they're lacking economics they're lacking certain things and if we can link those local initiatives together and keep those initiatives empowered as their own individuated thing, but we remove the separation. Now we remove the separation akin to a federation of like the Greek city-states. We have economy around the world where we inherently all win if another node wins, directly, one for one. Mm-hmm. That to me is what is practical. And then we can help grow and evolve into village over time. Mm-hmm. Well, you're describing sounds like, kind of like the vision of cosmolocalism. Are you familiar with that with that um, line of thinking and practice? Yeah, I, I relate to that at, to a certain extent, not in great depth, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the basic idea is that you want to localize a lot of the production, and you want to, you know, regenerate local cultures and local ecologies, um, and have these kind of, you know, pl- pluralism of, you know expression around the world but you also want to have some kind of solidarity network um you know in the technical sense like in the way that say michelle bowens talks about it is that you know you you design uh global you manufacture local right and so you have these kind of open source kind of exchange of knowledge uh exchange of things like manufacturing designs uh just of best practices and then different localities can kind of adapt them as they see fit, they can experiment, they can generate new knowledge, which then can go to the kind of the, the planetary network. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds it sounds somewhat like that, which is which is neat. Yeah, I, that to me is just, is just so freaking practical, but mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. And it, to me, it's not about like, it was in um, a friend's, uh, Jonathan was, the friend of Jonathan was hosting this like community meetings gather another day mm-hmm. and this fellow was sharing uh, how the importance of, from an economic perspective to have a multitude of economic systems co- co- coexisting concurrently. Yeah. And yeah, and in that vein, I don't believe there's a one solution fits all. Mm-hmm. Cohere, bring people together who vibe with what we're doing and we think it's gonna make a difference in the world. But by no means do we think that this is the end all be all or the best, the best of the best or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing our work to research and figure out how can we practically move the needle forward? And we have a lot of sister organizations that have similar initiatives and different takes on things. And we're all about like the idea of the survival of the fittest to me is, is it's clearly outdated. You know, like a healthy forest is a forest where the feed, the trees are feeding each other. That's a real thing. Right. The Although healthy, the trees are still competing for sunlight. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe it's like, not like there's no one solution. There's all, there is still like different nodes. But for me, it's just like, how can we be of service to all the other people who are working in 
similar different initiatives, different takes, because my God, like the more, the more the merrier at this point, in my opinion. So let me ask you, like in terms of thinking about kind of the economics of this. So you talked about like, you know, people kind of buy in with, with equity or they put in some kind of value. Um, and I, and, and so far we've talked about this in terms of like kind of just building up the properties in general, building up, uh, the village, so to speak, um, in terms of kind of like how it integrates with the local economy, you've talked about, you know, hiring locals, even giving them kind of ownership stake in the network itself. Uh, are, do you also see like people in these places uh, say generating useful goods and services that you know are exchanged say in the local economies like do you, do you see this kind of integration with with the local with the local economy as well and um yeah. like are these little yeah. are these little economies that you're developing not just little villages well i think they will over time so i'll give two examples in ecuador we are going to reforest and we have the finances because what we're doing to then loan cash for like 0% down to our neighbors. So they reforest their land. Mm -hmm. And that increases the watershed and then increases the property value of, of the original property. Mm -hmm. And so there's like, in Lake Atemon, if we come in and we finance, like Chris Lindstrom's got this amazing composting toilet that you know he's been developing, that our friends have been building in Tulum. What if we come in and we just come in and 0% finance toilets, updated composting toilets for everyone in this village, if they want. Mm. Like now that immediately starts to clean the water. Mm. And so like, there's that kind of thing where like, because I'm kind of a firm believer, like the biggest impact you can do is helping with infrastructure. Infrastructure is such a huge flywheel. Right. And then there's like, I'll take a different example. Like we've been talking to a friend, uh, Thomas Hahn, who has a retreat center in Grezgen, this small village outside of Basel. This village is indigenous as anywhere else. They've had people living there for like continually for thousands of years and family lines that go that far back, mm -hmm. like continuously and tracked. So inside of that local community, one of the things that's really exciting is keep on an amazing retreat center. They're building a restaurant. They're building these very tangible things that the village needs. And if that becomes part of Cohere Network, we can help them raise more capital through our economic model and help them accelerate then they're immediately helping on some fundamental baseline needs in this, this rural village. Mm -hmm. So it's really multifaceted, but ever evolving. And we don't really know, honestly, what's most what's best and what the best process is. Mm -hmm. All our take is what we do know is that if we house change makers and align mm -hmm. economic incentives so as all to work together, we'll discover the best practices as we go. And we'll discover the people who are already doing best practices and we can just funnel them resources. Nice, nice. Okay, um, so kind of a, kind of mentioned before. So you know, it seems like a lot of you are, are very young. Um, seems like not a lot of parents yet. For example, um, how do you see these villages evolving in terms of like? There's always the tension between the communal aspect and the private aspect, right? And some of the communes in the past didn't work out because you know, people like to have their own space uh, as well, right? People like also like to have their own property as well. Um, and so there's always this kind of balance to strike between say the communal hall and the individual living space. And, and this especially I think becomes salient when people start having kids, 
right? And start growing families and realizing that, you know, a, a nameless kind of nobody knows whose kids are whose and everybody's taking care of everyone uh, often fails spectacularly in practice. And so I, I'm, I'm wondering kind of how you're, you're thinking about this tension between communality and, you know, I guess, subsidiarity of like, in, in this case, subsidiarity of the family, or we could frame it as, you know, nested commons where, you know, family structures are also their own commons as well. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think nested commons is a great way to be thinking about it, honestly. I, for one thing to note, because you asked this question earlier and I got sidetracked, uh, so I didn't answer it, mm-hmm. that around the, demo, the demographic of, um, of, our, of our user profile. So mm-hmm. we have entire market of remote working and digital nomads, right? And that's ballooning, like extru- growing at extreme space. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing in digital nomad market segment in, in, is that people think that is like 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. The truth is the majority of people, the lion's share of that are retirees. Mm-hmm. People don't associate that with, because like at least the often people times people don't associate that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things for us is that we are not about like, we're not Soho house. We're not about like, yeah, let's together and look all cute and hot with each other. We're bringing together people of all ranges of backgrounds, all rate, all ranges of age. Mm-hmm. And it's really about the merit of what you're bringing. We get preferred access to the people who want to be of contribution and grow this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so our members range from people in their twenties to people in their seventies. Mm-hmm. So, that's one thing I wanted to know. And I think our, what I hear you saying is that we're not doing a good job representing that on our website. So. Well, I only saw like one or two pictures and it was, again, it was, it was a bunch of young, you know, seemingly very embodied and happy, you know, maybe everyone was on Molly or something and young and attractive, mostly white. Um, And I was like, yeah, that, that seems groovy, but that doesn't represent majority of humanity. Yep, yeah, for sure. No, that's, a, that's a great point, man. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is we, um, my friend's just coming in here into the house that I was <laughs> mentioning earlier. Um, one of the things with children and families, and I think that the way you said it, nested commons is so great, is mm-hmm. that the, the, di- the differentiation of private space to com- common space is oftentimes one of the challenging points with intentional communities is that there's not a differentiation. Everyone's like living in a single family home on top of each other and it's a pain in the ass and there's not enough kitchen space and mm-hmm. someone's peeing all over the toilet seat. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're so committed to building from scratch wherever possible. Private, individuated spaces with shared amenities. People can come in and come out as much as they so choose based on their disposition and their needs. Mm-hmm. So that's just a, a critical thing for us in a practical sense is um, providing the architectural solution that makes that possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you, you mentioned like sister organizations and, and you've also mentioned these kind of broader, broader movements. What are some other kind of, I, I guess, um, complementary movements that you've been inspired by or that you collaborate with? Um, you know, you mentioned Game B. Do you, do you guys consider yourself a proto B as Jim Rutt puts it? Or, you know, um, I got, I also have in mind like Earth Regenerators and what Joe Brewer is doing and they're, they're really trying to think in terms of kind of bioregional scale and designing around landscapes. Uh, of course you have networks like Regen Network, which they're, they're thinking about kind of the regenerative finance aspect and how do you really value 
these other forms of what we're calling capital that you know aren't narrowly financial capital um and several others uh do you want to talk about kind of how you've related to these other organizations and, and where you've seen resonance and also where you see like okay this this is actually but i also see a place a niche that we can fill that isn't being filled yeah i think that there's one of the things that occurs for me apologies i have to uh, moving outside here some friends are just getting back um one of the things that i see is there is there's need for all all the sister orgs and more mm -hmm. um I, I don't know joe but i've been tracking his work and i think they're doing incredible stuff uh, Greg and Will from Regen, I just love what they and their team are doing. And the for us, like the more we can nest and amp the sister orgs, the better. Like one thing we've been talking about in kind of the larger conversation is how we index our tokens together in the refi space. Mm. And that starts to become really exciting, especially as other orgs, you know, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of amazing refi things that we can do when we start to nest and index together. Mm. So I think it's really a matter of the more the merrier, the more like the more like the scale and order of magnitude of what we're facing as a humanity mm -hmm. is so insanely huge that the idea that one org is like leading the charge is stupid to me. It's mm -hmm. we're all doing what we can and the more we can amp each other, the better. And the more we can help incumbents come in, the better. And if we, if we equity swap, if we token swap, if we bundle together, then we're creating a regenerative economic model that can actually, like if you look at Wall Street, Wall Street's so effective because they're all in bed with each other. Mm. And I think the regenerative movement needs to take a, a lesson from that. Mm -hmm. So in terms of where like proto gain B, uh, or I'm not sure how you were saying it, Jim was saying it, um, proto likely. Mm. Proto B. Yeah, mm. I, absolutely. And that's mm. what we want to be in service to. Um, and, you know, we're figuring it as we go. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so one, one thought I had was the importance of training skills. And this is something that we focus a lot on in Doomer Optimism is that many people have become very disembodied, right? Many people have forgotten how to work with their hands, right? This could be how, how to, how to farm, how to grow food, right, how to build things, um, how to fix things, right, fix appliances, you know, practical stuff, right, and one of the things that we're kind of actively talking about is the need to kind of recreate these edu educational institutions, it, you know, and to me, the model is kind of like, like a bioregional field school, right, where you have kind of very experiential learning, you have, you know, people on site learning how to build, learning how to grow, um, you know, as part of this program. And then, you know, after they finish, they're matched up with, you know, kind of a living situation where they can actually carry this on into a livelihood, maybe in the same place or maybe somewhere else. Uh, I'm curious, like, how you're thinking about just the skill building component, right? Like, if you want to build you know, I know you're an architect, so it seems like you, the, some of the skills are there, but, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you're just a programmer or you're, you're just, uh, you know, uh, you come from the finance industry and you got interested in regenerative finance, you know, in terms of providing other sorts of value, uh, you know, uh, to kind of a functioning living situation, 
is there some kind of like training component or is it just about kind of attracting the people who already have the skills? Yeah, great question. It's really one of these things that's ever evolving. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'll take it closest to home for me. Mm -hmm. So in Europe, as an architect, one of the key ways you get established is through competitions. Mm -hmm. Competitions are really expensive to enter. I mean, they can be you know $4,000 a pop to enter like a real, like a like real competition. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we put out a call for like, okay, we're gonna build five new cabins in the Costa Rica property. What if we put that out to the world and said, hey, compete in this process, but your entry fee is actually an investment. And whoever we select out of the, like the, the 50 firms that apply, we're in the, our community will select one, but everyone else, their fee is actually going to give them, they're going to actually get a reward no matter what they get selected or not. Hmm. And then we can NFT every design and put that on our website. And if someone else in the network or the meta network wants another design, we can make sure that that IP and the fee is getting back to the original firm. Hmm. So those are like, that's like a very practical way that we're looking at crowdsourcing and crowdfunding, you know, designs for like a cabin. Mm -hmm. And we can extrapolate that out to anything. So what becomes exciting then on like the, I was talking to, um, to Matt from uh, Future Horizons yesterday and what they're doing in like this amazing gamification and their quests around your generative impact. Like they've, they've, they're kicking ass and doing amazing organizational, like everything to do that. Well, for us, then I rather plug in what they're doing and not have to figure that out ourselves mm -hmm. and then have a sister or get amped because we have the property and they can just apply their principles on it. And with that said, there's like an infinite potential for us to go to our sister org say like, okay, you want to do that? Great. Well, you want to do that here? You want to do that in a property in Ecuador? Like, if you have a core where people want to do that, great. We've got a, another piece of property where we can immediately be putting people to work. Mm -hmm. And you can do that in, under your brand, but inside of an umbrella where when you make the improvements to the land, you become a shareholder. And then we all get the upside. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we can just be really practical and then support these sub-initiatives or sister initiatives or parent initiatives, the better, um, and just keep moving the ball forward in the most practical way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, let me let me uh, throw out a scenario and and let me tell and, and let me know if if you if you see this as part of what you guys are doing. So so say I'm like a, a young twenty year old, um, you know I'm interested in in these ideas. Um, say I don't have many practical skills. I grew up in a suburb. Um, you know I I maybe I have a college degree, maybe I don't, but maybe it doesn't. It's not that applicable, and. I basically want to go to one of these villages, offer as my value, my labor, I'll have to be trained, right? So say it's helping to build one of these structures, right? So I'll come as an apprentice um, and I, by putting in my work and slowly developing the skills over time on site, uh, I'll also gain equity within the network itself. And then as these skills build, you know, I can either choose to stay there or go to one of these other nodes in the network. Is that how yeah. is that is that kind of like a a pathway that you see? I do. I really do, and that's something that really really excites me. Mm -hmm. And you know, as a startup, like one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is that you know, everyone thinks you're more capitalized and you're more able to do what you're able to do as a startup at what the phase, mm -hmm. but um, a million percent. I mean, if we can become a practical onboarding 
for people to come in, plug in, get paid and tr- like get trained, mm-hmm. get long-term stake, grow practical skills. Mm-hmm. I believe that's going to become an extremely important uh, the structure that Cohere can provide. Mm-hmm. And because there's such potential for fiat money dropping, the risk of hyperinflation, the risk of systemic economic collapse in larger global macroeconomics, mm-hmm. um, the ability to be building an economy based on a store of value of regenerative hard assets, I think has the potential to become very, very significant. Mm-hmm. And if that becomes a training mechanism wherein we can take people who don't have certain practical skills and they can learn that and do that in like a way that is incredibly fun mm-hmm. and like meaningful and impactful, right. yeah, I see that scaling out like crazy. Nice, nice. Um, what uh, have, have, have you have you all developed kind of protocols for decision making for you know kind of how you know basically you know you've talked about the ability of exit. Um, so this is, I guess, a question about voice in this kind of traditional dichotomy. Um, do, do you do you follow any any kind of protocols that are already out there, or are you kind of just evolving it? And, you know, figuring out as you go, I'm, I'm curious how you make decisions, how you deal with power dynamics, things of that nature. Yeah, it's such a hugely important subject. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also one where idealism can get in the way of progress in sabotage itself. Mm-hmm. And as a startup, what's been really key for us is we have to be lean and nimble and agile. Mm-hmm. And that is the value of a centralized core team. Mm-hmm. So we hosted a lab last year where we brought together 25 experts from around the world on how do we set up a Cohere DAO. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end of it, we're like, oh, my gosh, we cannot take that on this year. Mm-hmm. It's just w- wicked complex. Yeah. And But that is, that is where we want to go. Like, mm-hmm. It's funny. We're using C-level titles, and we're using a C-corp to mm-hmm. leverage precedent law. Like, this is one of these things where, like, a C-Corp doesn't have to be an evil thing. It's mm-hmm. precedent law is most robust with C-Corp, so it gives us the most flexibility. We can write bylaws however we so choose in a C-Corp. Mm-hmm. You can write an LLC to operate like a land trust. Mm-hmm. It's where precedent law gives us the most protection and there through the most access to mainstream capital that we can move into game B. Mm-hmm. And through decentralization, decentralized power decision structures, the... I was talking to Thompson, Tom Thompson the other day, one of the co-founders of Holacracy, mm-hmm. and we're extremely excited about how we integrate holocratic uh, decentralized decision-making. And they've developed insanely awesome protocols. And we're very excited about bringing that into the system. Mm-hmm. And as a startup, we have to make sure that we are bringing the cash, we're getting to revenue, we're expanding what we can do right now. And then intelligently decentralize over time, or else we'll flounder under the complexity of some of the most cutting edge and complex things in the world, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, I'm guessing you're familiar with like um, Richard Bartlett's kind of micro solidarity framework. You mentioned kind of a core team. Um, you know, he would call that like a crew. And he, he, one of the things that he emphasizes a lot is is the importance of these kind of nested structures and networks where you want to have you know you don't want to have a completely flat 
network, you know, you, you want to have, say, you know, say a network of crews of like five or six people, you know, focusing on certain things, working well together, figuring out how to work well together. Um, you know, as he puts it, you know, uh, work outside of the, the mode of domination. Uh, but then you also might have, forget what he calls everyone, but then you might have like a, a group of like 50 that, you know, break down into crews, but, you know, for, for, for larger scale issues, you know, you, you meet and then, and then expands out from there. Uh, I'm curious, um, yeah, uh, how you, how, how you, how you relate to that kind of framework. Yeah, I mean, I think like, um, I think pro, yeah, it's the question of how I relate to it is dependent on the progression of the company in the needs of the, of the company, the movement at, at, at whatever point we're referring to. Mm. I think like pro-social and like sociocratic methods or mm. where we, we have leads that mm, one of the things I think is extremely detrimental is consensus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're outside of your decision-making zone or excuse me, your expertise zone. Right. I, I know how to cook well, but I'm no chef. So my decision-making on, you know, certain things in that vein is not as useful. Right. Now I can really crush some dishes. Like I can clean like better, best, as good as anybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like mm -hmm. there's just like that meritocracy of decision-making I think is really yeah. critical. Mm -hmm. And that's where that sub nesting becomes so key. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and many communities fall victim to this thing that we're all equal. We're not equal. Mm -hmm. We all have different degrees. I am not an equal chef to my buddy Rafa, who's a Michelin starter chef. I'm not. Now we all have equal merit. We all have equal value. We're all human beings. We all have all. So it's not to cut. We don't want to collapse the intrinsic intrinsic worth of a human being, right. and we want to be real where our expertises are. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah. yeah, yeah. You see what I think? I think. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that this is you know we we've had some people on recently you know who are part of you know they consider themselves anarchists and. You know, and this is something that they're trying to figure out all the time, right? Because, you know, you know, kind of theoretically, you know, you want horizontal decision-making structures. Um, you don't want patterns of domination arising. Um, you want to, you know, they, they want to abolish patterns of domination, but you do have to work with the realities that people do have different skills, capacities, and interests, right? And so the question of how you honor that and how you honor people's natural inclinations and you know and capacities while also you know not letting that you know uh evolve into some kind of solidified hierarchy is yeah. you know a pretty wicked problem right that i don't think anyone has totally figured out um you know how to do that but you know that is a you know i think it sounds like your organization and many, many others in this space, like that's, that's something that you're constantly trying to navigate and figure out. And you have to balance idealism with pragmatism, um, you know, et cetera. And so, yeah. Well, I think it, it's, it's also a very charged in, on the point I mean to say is that the baseline economics that we're inside of the water we're swimming in is a petro or fueled dot like fiat monetary system. Right. That inherently is a win-lose situation. Mm -hmm. And 
this is where like um, Donnie was post post growth institutes really been opening my mind to new awarenesses, but his work is great. But one of the things that is really critical for us in like a pragmatic baby step way is mm-hmm. what happens when we all co-own the commons. Now, maybe a micro commons, like the, like the fractal nature of reality seems to imply that that's a pretty effective way of looking at it. But inside the monetary system we have now, there is no win-win. Mm-hmm. Or there's very few windows. Right. And so when like if we start to have an economic system where we all have a monetary system where we literally always win when we're helping the other, then it removes a lot of these baseline issues that are just inherent, but we don't even acknowledge because we're so in the water of this crony capitalistic system. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I don't know if I'm communicating effectively, but I just it's it's like People have such scarcity when there is such an unequal distribution of value. Mm-hmm. And if you know that doing the right thing, stewarding the land, helping a collaborator inherently increases your financial value, mm-hmm. that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Versus every time I use my credit card or pull money out of the ATM, I'm just funneling, siphoning money off into a couple centralized crony banks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, another thought just came to mind. So one thing that we're navigating in Doomer Optimism is that there are uh, different kind of cultural backgrounds. You know, there's there's people who, you know, I think have a more metamodern sensibility, right? Kind of like, and and they're coming at it from you know that that point of view. And, and there's other people who have more of a kind of traditional conservative sensibility. Um, and then you, we also have people kind of, you know, uh, very kind of leftist. You have also people who consider themselves more, more right wing. Um, and how do you navigate these real differences in values, um, in, in moral values? Um, and that's something that we're, you know, I think continually trying to work out. And I can imagine, say, if you're located in a you know, in a place that's that's located within a more traditional society, you know, some of the ideas about family, family structure, um, you know, even things like patriarchy might be, you know, you might bump up against some very real cultural differences, right? Like you, you might be in a Catholic village, right? And, um, and they're very Catholic, right? And uh, this idea of, polyamory for example uh or something else might might actually be very offensive to them right and so i'm I'm wondering have have you guys run into like these kind of cultural cultural differences where you know um more on the kind of traditional end let's say and more on the hippie end uh of how you conduct yourself how you live live, how you form families etc yeah i would say that Yes and no, in some ways. Like mm-hmm. the okay, so uh, a friends of ours, uh, Ange and Kyle, they have a, a movement called Correlation, where they build these beautiful sculptures and then sink them into coral reefs and then electrically charge them to accelerate the regrowth of coral. Hmm. They've been, I think, they are leading the charge in how you work with local communities through art. Mm-hmm. And they're in Dominican Republic, and they are looking to raise capital through Cohere. So we build a Cohere location, 
at this coral restoration project. And we bring people there to learn about coral restoration and bring more money and resources to their project. Mm-hmm. And they are just doing such incredible work in how do you actually build a local community. Mm-hmm. And still, the structure, they built this giant structure that was an indigenous um, indigenous icon. And the local Catholic community was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is anti the church. This is terrible. And it created a rift in the community. Mm-hmm. between the indigenous and the Catholics and them. And they, they all, they, they handled it beautifully and it's all fine. But mm-hmm. that to me is in the network is something that, you know, was an example to me of like where those values can really get a little bit uh, butted to, you know, fronting each other. Right. And I really have no idea what is best. Really. I think the I, my sense, honestly, inside the political divide, like let's say in the United States experience is my friends were like, quote unquote, very conservative and others were quote unquote, very liberal, mm-hmm. all share the same fundamental values. Like I've never met anyone who, when I haven't had like a long car ride with them or like, not like, oh yeah, you, you, you value the same things. Right. <laughs> you know, like, it's never not happened to me. Mm-hmm. So I think mostly it's just like the labeling and the BS that comes through like best way to hoodwink a population is get them fighting each other. You know, like, and so, like, with all these bizarre labels in the United States, for instance, and many other countries, and the rise of populism and authoritarianism, mm-hmm. but it's all just like we all want the same thing at the end of the day. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this came to mind because there was a, an article that just came out in Vanity Fair. Jason Pogue, who's kind of a friend of the Dio Network, you know, he was he's been he's been investigating what they call the new right or the dissident right movement in the United States and around the world. And, you know, some aspects of it, uh, you know, are very misaligned with, uh, I would say, my values. Like there is very strong elements of racism in the movement, not 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 entirely, but, but some. Uh, there's, you know, kind of a belligerent nationalism or, or something, you know, things of that nature, um, even what you might call proto-fascism. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the critiques that they have are very similar to, say, the anti-globalization battle in Seattle critiques of, you know, leftists in the late 90s, right? Like, there's there's, like, there's, there's this horseshoe theory thing going on, and, you know, from a perspective of a liberal, that's like, oh, this is terrifying, this is the rise of fascism, and maybe they're they're correct, and maybe we should all be extremely worried, but it, it seems to me that there is also an opportunity to kind of diffuse the the really kind of destructive um, elements of that and find common ground because a lot of it seems a lot of what what they're looking for is you know we want to rediscover a sense of place you know a sense of cultural identity right and if you know uh, and if you know you're in one part of the world you know this is seen as decolonialization um but you know if you're say a white person in america with the history of slavery with the history of colonization um you know that can be perceived as uh, white supremacy or that can be perceived as fascism right and you know the thing that i'm trying to figure out is you know how do we support people to connect in communities to connect back with the land connect back with each other to steward the land um, how do we but do it in a way where, you know, it's pluralistic, meaning different communities can find their own forms of expression. 
It's not xenophobic though, uh, because we're networked with each other around the world and we're developing these kind of solidarity networks, you know, kind of like what the Zapatistas talk about with Zapatismo of developing, you know, autonomies everywhere and then linking up and supporting each other. And it's just a very kind of, there's a lot of uh, upheaval right now. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil right now. And it's not clear where it'll all shake out, right? Whether, you know, we will develop into these kind of pluralistic, pro-social global networks that all support each other and, you know, uh, are, for example, not racist, hopefully, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it can go in that direction or it could go into kind of like a new ethno-nationalist uh, kind of, you know, uh, movement that for me is a terrifying prospect. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I'm just kind of, uh, I don't know if that's a question, but, you know, kind of what you see, if you've noticed the dynamics, I, I, one, one example here is like the permaculture movement, right? I think the biggest influx of people interested in permaculture are very right-wing conservatives, right? And the permaculture movement is trying to deal with this because, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, the more people that get involved with holistic land stewardship, the better, but we're also worried that, you know, they're going to bring, you know, values into the movement that, you know, are, you know, can, can be very, you know, let's just say fascist. Uh, I'm curious if you have, if you've noticed these dynamics and what you think about how, how do you navigate them? Yeah, no, I definitely have noticed. I mean, I think there is a, mm, I think there's a paradigm shift at mm. large afoot. Yeah. And I think that as what's his Tom, uh, what's, uh, a friend was saying, it's like there's like the, the kind of the whole metamodernist approach of like or the thought of there's the rise of like Chinese authoritarianism, mm -hmm. you know, Mad Max collapse, and then the third attractor. Right. And I found that really helpful to think in that way because it, it occurs to me a little bit like the tale of two cities. It's the worst of times and the best of times. And it's like the, <laughs> to like kind of put it in odd terms, like the fracturing of the hologram, if you will, right? It's like, we're choosing our reality. Mm -hmm. And I think quantum mechanics really shows that, that like the nature of reality is so dependent on the observer mm -hmm. in that there is a movement that is leading to like massive collapse. And then there are movements of light, like progress in the world where people are coming together for the win-win solutions. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think because we're in such a disruptive time right now that I think there'll be a continual uh, collapsing of institutions. And I think you see this in the United States where there's a complete loss of trust in the institutions yeah. because of the infiltration of, of, of cronyism, in my opinion. I, I, don't, I brought that word up a lot, but I think it's really is a huge factor of why the public no longer trusts the CDC when you have like evil pharmaceutical companies and like all the crazy stuff that is happening in any, in every industry yeah. where you have just too much power in a few companies' hands. Um, so yeah, I think that there's like, I think we are in a time of just like extreme radical change and it's an exponential curve. Yeah. I think climate change is an exponential curve. I think the, the collapse of many things are accelerating with jerk, but I think that's all actually very exciting because 
if we come together and we find those win-wins, then we can, like some, I really love the research that shows that you want to bring two gangs together and get beyond their, their stuff, mm-hmm. create a super ordinate goal. Mm-hmm. That's how you move beyond gang violence effectively is you get groups of people of different views and you get them focused on something more important than their BS. Mm-hmm. And I think as humanity, as more and more people recognize to the situation that we're in, there's a superordinate goal. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing out of ignorance is destroying the planet. What we can do at a coordination and consciousness is like infinite. Mm-hmm. Like the, what we can do as a humanity is insane, incredible. So I think that we're experiencing that. And um, it leaves me, <laughs> the, the doomsday actually leaves me super optimistic because that aligns people to get beyond the BS and actually yeah. find the win-wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm curious what you think about. Uh, so recently had a conversation uh, with Gregory Landwa and Daniel Schmachtenberger. Uh, hasn't been released yet. Uh, uh, where you know, Daniel, of course, is very concerned about these kind of large-scale multipolar traps, right, and global dynamics, and. Uh, he doesn't focus as much or emphasize on this kind of relocalization aspect, uh, at least, or at least he d- only does ten- tangentially. And one of the kind of, I wouldn't say tension, but maybe it was a creative tension in that conversation was, you know, both, you know, thinking in terms of, yeah, like, you know, nuclear proliferation is a large scale problem, right? Or you know, the, the dynamics between the America and China in terms of addressing climate change, like if they don't get on board, then it's not going to happen. Right. So and he's trying to work, figure out things at that scale, um, you know, and I was emphasizing the importance of kind of relocalization, getting in touch with relations to the land and place. But, you know, I was also, I think, trying to make the argument that if we can develop a network of communities doing this around the world, this kind of cosmolocalism idea that, you know, that this, uh, you know, perhaps not directly, but indirectly could help to address the larger scale multipolar traps that he's so worried about. Um, I'm curious what, 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 what your thoughts are on that, of like these kinds of movements that you're a part of and, and you deserve others a part of, you know, do you see them addressing, uh, uh, this kind of diagnosis that that Schmachtenberger brings to the yeah. table. Yeah, I frankly don't know, and I think my sense is that it's really uh, all the above. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I really don't have enough yeah. of uh, insights to say. My my sense and my sensibility, my approach is that lo- a decentralized network of network of localized movements that are focusing on the fundamental basic human needs, I think, does become a flywheel for systemic change that can then address things as important as nuclear proliferation treaties. Right. But it's or biotechnology, practice. you know, the dangers of biotechnology yeah. or artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. I think we can get overly romantic around the impact of the the localized movement when there is such a power structure system at the top that is so solidified. But yeah, I 
I don't know. I just think it's just a matter of like, for me, it's just like, what is in my wherewithal to help move forward? And, right. and I think, yeah, I really just deeply cherish both those guys and their points of view in the world. And I think they're, they're all of it's accurate. It's just a matter of like how we'll see. We just have to do the work and see and get the data and make the world a better place in doing so. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. Um, okay. Well, um, I think we can wrap up pretty soon. Uh, I want to give you the final platform, anything that you think we haven't kind of sufficiently explored or that you'd like to kind of bring to the table. Uh, I want to kind of, yeah, give you a chance or if there's, you know, sometimes I frame it as if there's a question that you wish I had asked and you want to answer, uh, I want to kind of give you the, the platform here. Okay. Yeah, I would say um, a question I wish you had asked. Nothing pops up uh, to mind. I would say the the what occurs to me right now is just a real appreciation and gratitude for people like you who are hosting these discord, this type of discourse. And I think it's just really it's such a beautiful process that is emerging in the world right now of people hosting really quality content and bring intellectualism into the movements. Mm -hmm. And so I just really thankful to be here with you and to be able to be a small part of that. And I think that it's a, I think it's of utmost importance, honestly. I would say on the cohere side, like right now what we're doing is we're looking to invite people who are aligned with what we feel inspired and aligned and want to help build out, you know, the, this network of practically oriented regenerative communities that can either evolve and grow and see the value of building a new member owned economic system and want to just bring their wisdom to this network and see how this network can then nest inside the, the meta network and all the other sister networks. Um, so that's really my invite. If the, any of this, if what we're doing at Cohere resonates with people, then please, by all means, yeah, hit, let us know, pop in, become a member and, uh, yeah, let's do this thing together. And what's the what's the best way for somebody to connect with you? Is it through their Twitter handle at Cohere Network or uh, somewhere yeah. else? Yeah, any of the above. I mean, I, I really prioritize making myself available to, to mm -hmm. anyone and everybody. Yes, yeah, so my email, Dakota with an H at Cohere Network. Mm -hmm. um, you can always just directly email me. I, I, um, our Twitter handle or Insta handles, all, all the social media. Um, and then our website, We'll be launching that the, the founding membership here soon. We are getting ready to open up an online community space that um, highlights the properties that we are onboarding and the properties that we're looking to fundraise for. Mm -hmm. So that's like the property in Ecuador, a Polish castle that's been fully renovated across from Prague. Um, you know, Angie Kyle's coral restoration, collaboration with the Franklin Bright School of Architecture in Montana. There's the, the partnership with John Milton with the Way of Nature Foundation. Um, there's a pipeline of investment opportunities that we're lining up for for the regenerative real estate side and a network of locations. And yeah, anyone who uh, feels inspired to be part of that um, and building up the infrastructure, we welcome it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we will we'll put all this information in the show notes. Uh, so if people want to follow up, uh, Dakota, thank you very much. This is this is fun. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I, I find what, what you all are doing very intriguing. Um, you know, I think our, our general stance is uh, with these kinds of projects is a bit of skepticism, but I think it's, you know, we're trying to make it um, 
you know, a useful skepticism, you know, not a tearing down, but a constructive skepticism. Uh, And so, but, you know, uh, I think one of these experiments, uh, sets of experiments are going to produce real innovation and real knowledge. And I think that, you know, how you're thinking about things and all the things you can, you guys have considered, um, I think you're, you're really on the right track and it's very inspiring. So thanks for coming on and yeah, this is great until next time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Take care to go.